afternoon. You like that? I got that right. I usually say good morning. The whole trip trip from my seat up here, it was like afternoon, afternoon, afternoon. Uh, it's good to be with you guys. Um, uh, I suppose I've, I've given the title to my, my sermon, uh, un, un or willing, unwilling or willing. That, that will depend on you, I suppose. Um, but uh, I, I, I want to look with you at a small set of verses from the gospel according to Luke. Um, so I, I, I think I should have slides for everything, but if you're the type that wants to look down at it, you could start to turn to Luke chapter 13. Um, yeah, last week um, I, I brought up the idea that um, the most foundational reality about God is, it, well, it's something we find over and over in Scripture, um, but it's that He is gracious and compassionate, abounding in, uh, I'm sorry, slow to anger and abounding in kindness and faithfulness. Um, And that comes from uh, God's own words to Moses. Uh, There is an episode early on in the book of Exodus where Moses is living as a shepherd and he encounters a bush on fire and there there is a kind of uh, deep uh, and complicated um, revelation of God's name to Moses. And it, some of what it means to know God's name has to do with these lines. And it's a moment when Israel is at its, its lowest that God announces his basic posture toward his people. And if there was ever a verse that you, if you're like the, the sort that... Um, like you like memory verses, this is it. This is the one you should store away within you. Um, and you keep turning back to it over and over. Adonai, Adonai, El Rahum Vachanun, Erek Apayim, Varav Chesed Ve'emet. Over and over we get this sentence. Especially in the Psalms. When they're, when they're worshiping and praising God, this is what they bring up on a regular basis. What do you think of when you think of God? What comes to mind? If it's not this, uh, we have some work to do. Um, but uh, this means then, if, if, we, if we're um, taking some time to kind of till the soil, to prepare our hearts and minds for, for Easter, you don't have to wait for Easter to celebrate Easter, by the way, um, but, but the idea is that we, we open ourselves up to, to see the resurrection, to see the crucifixion, and after the crucifixion, the resurrection, to sort of open our hearts up. And hopefully, uh, when we celebrate the resurrection, it's more than, than just, well, at least I can be sure about where I go when I die. But it starts to become the reality within which you live and breathe. A new creation is, is the, the idea with the resurrection. It's not just the salvation of ghosts, but the re- renewal and restoration 
of all things. But if you're like me, over time, without you knowing it, and I think this is one of the most frightening parts about it, without you knowing it, you turn away from God and drift. Do you ever find this in your life? You ever discover like, oh, wow, I'm out to sea. <laughs> How did I get there? Well, this is an opportunity for us to, to think for a moment, to look at our lives, not in terror and in fear, we better get it right or God's going to smash us, but with this in mind, God is always longing for us to turn to him. But we don't always turn to God. Even the best of us aren't always, like, dialed in. Um, But uh, I think this will help us. You recognize this this guy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marvin Lee a day or meatloaf, yes. Uh, August 30th, 1993, uh, Meat released his uh, his hit single. It was like number one in like 28 different countries. Um, uh, off, it was the first single off his forthcoming album, which released later in 1993. And the title was uh, Bad Out of Hell 2, Back to Hell. Like, what a title, my goodness. Uh, it sounds like a super encouraging record. But you, do you know the single that was released? I would do anything for love. How's it go? But I won't, but I won't do that. You remember it, right? Ridiculous. That was on the radio like nine, non-stop. When I guess I was, must have been in like high school or middle school. I don't know. Uh, awful. Awful. I don't care. It's terrible. Um, but without wanting to, uh, we sing this song to God. I would do anything God asks me, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> That's a big discussion about Mr. Loaf's single, uh, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Well, what is that? If you like, go to the Wikipedia page, there's a whole like, conspiracy. What is that? What is the that that he won't do? That's the point, right? He's on to something there. I would do anything for God. But there are certain lines that I just will not cross. There are certain parts of my life and there are certain parts of our lives as people, as a community, that we've decided as a community we'd do anything, but we are not going to think about doing that. Right? And as long as we have that posture, we feel like we're remaining very, very safe. We've drawn the lines. We understand how far we can go. But that can, as it turns out, turn on you. Is this making sense? It can turn on you. And what's, what's frightening for, for me is in my resolve to not go certain places or think about certain things in my own life or in the life of my church, I think I'm serving God. But slowly, I'm kind of hardening myself to hear God. This is actually the story of Israel. 
over and over and over throughout the Bible. In the 8th century, the prophet Isaiah is told to go proclaim, uh, to make an announcement to the people. And it's, it's a wonderful announcement. Unfortunately, we write songs about this moment in the Bible and we get it wrong. Uh, there's a moment where God is speaking with the other uh, d- divine beings and he says, Who's, who will go out for us? And Isaiah raises his hand, I'm guessing very timidly, and says, Hinani, I'm here. Here I am. So good, Isaiah is going to go for us, everybody. Okay, Isaiah, here's what I want you to tell my people. See, but don't see. Listen, but don't hear. What a great message. <laughs> How long should I do that, Lord? Until everyone's dead. It's quite a message. It's a message of judgment. Tell them the truth. The more you speak the truth to them, the further they will get from it. It will judge them. Jesus uses this line to describe the role of the parables. We think of Jesus' parables as cute little stories to help us be better people. But they're actually kind of a, a test. Will you open up? Will you open your ears? If not, the very truth I'm telling you works to draw you further from truth. Isn't that scary? That can happen. That's happened in my life. That's happened in my life where I I imagine that I'm right where God wants me to be, but because I might not be paying attention, because I might not be in good relationships with other people, I may be relying on what I already know. Lo and behold, I'm not listening to God. And then I wonder, why is it so miserable to be a Christian? (laughs) Because in, in, in many ways, I've killed God in my life. Now, as it turns out, you can't, you can kill God, but it only lasts for like a day. And then he comes back to life. But so in Luke, we're going to look at chapter 13. Now, it, it, there's a, there's a certain moment in each of what we call the synoptic uh, Gospels. Uh, That is the first three accounts of the Gospel in the New Testament. But there's a moment in each when the narrative starts to focus on a journey. Now in Luke, this starts at about chapter 9, like 51 through 53. We are told that Jesus begins his Ascent. He heads from the north where he lives, where he grew up, south. You go south toward Jerusalem, but up as well. You're, you're, you're going up in elevation. But so for almost half, more, more than half the book of Luke's account of the gospel, you're traveling with Jesus toward Jerusalem. What we're going to read here is early on in that sort of travel narrative within Luke's account. Now already, before he made it, he started out for Jerusalem. And by the way, he's heading there for the holiday. It's Passover coming up. The, 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 the Torah says that if you are an Israelite male, you shall appear before the Lord three times a year 
for the high holidays, Passover being one of them. But even before Jesus heads to Jerusalem, he tells his disciples that the church leaders are going to kill him. The elders, the chief priests, the religious authorities are going to kill him. He's going to kill me. Do you guys get that? They're going to kill me. To which you can only say, like, Jesus is so dramatic. No one's going to kill you. You're performing miracles and telling parables and people love you, right? But Jesus knows what this holiday will be like for him. This journey up to Jerusalem is a death march. He knows that. As readers, we we, we wonder, is he telling the truth? The disciples don't seem to really grasp what that means. But going to Jerusalem is a dangerous decision. Okay, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go tell that fox for me. Listen. I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Make sense? Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem, and on the way he's doing what he believes he is Summoned to do, which is to anticipate new creation everywhere he goes. We call them miracles because it's blow away that a blind person would see. Doesn't that tell you how messed up we are? We're so accustomed to blind folks or sick people that the thought of them being made well surprises us. But that's how it's supposed to be. God is making right the many wrongs within his good creation as he's going. And we tend to turn the Pharisees into monsters. And Jesus does encounter some very hostile Pharisees, but they're not all bad. In fact, in terms of their teaching, they, they get it pretty dead on. And these ones seem to be a little less hostile, maybe even friendly. You imagine the crowds with Jesus and these Pharisees saying, you got to get out of here, dude. Keep moving. Go south. Herod um, is, is the ruler of Galilee, the north, where Jesus is from. And he seems to be kind of an egomaniac, little insecure, wants more power than he actually has. That's actually the, the case for all of the Herods, the whole dynasty. But Jesus should be scared. The text says, Herod wants. Now, want will be an important idea here. Herod wants to kill you. Now, Herod's already killed John the Baptist. Who was John the Baptist? Well, he was the person that came before Jesus trying to get people ready for Jesus. And if they didn't like John, they're going to hate Jesus. 
If I was Jesus, I'd be like, hide me. Help me get out of here. What what does Jesus say about Herod? I don't care about Herod. You go tell that fox. Now, fox for us, what does a fox mean? Sly, crafty, quick. I don't think that's what Jesus means. In fact, there's there's a passage um, in in the uh, the book of Lamentations. Um, uh, I'll just start halfway down because well, no, I'll read the whole thing. This is this is from the book of Lamentations, uh, which is five or more very long alphabet poems um, about the fall of Jerusalem and living in the aftermath of the exile. It says, the joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are sick. Because of these things, our eyes have grown dim. Because of Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. How you doing? Now, these are Hebrew texts that get translated into Greek. And when they come to the translators come to this word for jackal, they use the word in Greek fox. Here's the idea. I'm, this is a long way of making the point. Foxes are those scavenger, untrustworthy creatures that come in after everyone has died and the city's been burned. They are like, which is kind of a foreshadow based on what we're going to read in a moment in Luke. You go tell Herod, that, that scavenger, that fox, that I'm not scared of him. Because I'm going to Jerusalem. I always say, I'm going to, what was our last conference called for the ICOC? Forgive me. The vision. Vision. I'm going to Vision. I'm going, Vision 2020, that's right. Duh. My wife planned the last one, so when it comes to conferences, I kind of like black out, because um, I remember that season in our life being very busy. Um, but I'm going to the conference. I'm going to the holy city. I'm going on holiday leave. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'll be safe there. I'm not worried about Herod. I'm going to Jerusalem. But that's not what he says, is it? He says, you think Herod's bad. I'm going to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is meant to be the hub of all creation. It's it's patterned after the garden story in Genesis 2. It's the place from which the waters flow out to irrigate a dry land. It's the command center for all creation. The idea is justice, truth, righteousness, purity, love flow out from Jerusalem to the wider world. Why? Because God lives there on the hill in the temple Solomon and his friends built. Though God is kind of like, I don't really live here. I hope you know that. But see, that's not the kind of epicenter Jerusalem ended up becoming. Jesus is saying, you think Herod's bad. I'm going to Jerusalem. You know how they treat prophets in Jerusalem? The one place where you think they get it. You think that the elders 
and the chief priests and those who have been reading their Bible their whole lives, when Jesus comes to town, you think he'd be safe there. You think there they'd embrace what he has to say. But Jesus says it's way more dangerous there than it is in the north with Herod. I'm not scared of Herod. In fact, I have enough courage to go to Jerusalem. But he goes on. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate. And I tell you that you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus knows how they're going to treat him in Jerusalem. He has evidence already of how they're going to treat him. Because many a prophet has wandered into Jerusalem to tell them the truth about taking off their shades and looking at themselves for a minute. Look at how you're living. You're God's people, but look how you treat others. Look at, and you know what they do? They say, kill this guy, ruining our religion. Don't you know this is Jerusalem? Don't come in here with your sermons about how we need to change. Don't you know that we're Israel, God's people? Don't tell us how to live. Jesus knows that's what they're going to do. Yet, In the middle of this speech, he laments over this holy city. Says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He longs. Herod wants to kill Jesus. Jesus wants to gather those in Jerusalem for protection, but they don't want that. There's like all these different wants and desires here. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. All I want to do is get them to see. I want to save them from their religion. Their religion tells them that they should fight Rome. Are they stupid? Do they know how that's going to end? Do they know how their politics and their religion are going to kill them? I want to save them from that. In fact, I want to save them from their sins. They don't want that. So I'm like a bird here with my arms, my my wings spread, longing to protect. But they don't want it. But I want it. You see that? Jesus wants to take care of those who really don't want anything to do with it. That's what God's always like. That's how God always is. If you ever imagine as we're turning away, God's like, I'm disgusted by these people. When are they going to go back to church and read their Bible? That's not how he looks at us. It's like, I just want to protect them. I want to draw them to myself. God isn't like a religious movement manager where he manages how we do in our devotional lives. Did you go to church? Did you say your prayers? Did you share your faith? Did you read your Bible? Did you do any of those things? Well, get to it, because that's what I'm looking for. Well, God's posture is always to cover, to take care of. And we do all those things 
as a means of drawing near to him. They're not ends in themselves. We're not just sitting here to check the box. We're drawing near. We're trying in our broken lives to draw near. That's what God has always wanted, even for the worst people. (laughs) You and me. But Jesus now, by evoking this image of God as a bird, which is a common image in, in, the, in the Hebrew Scriptures, he's, he's saying something here. This idea of a mother bird, I don't really think chickens is the idea, though some, uh, a number of those who write on Luke think the idea is a chicken, because there, there has been uh, testimonies of farmyard fires wherein after the, the fire has ravaged the, the farmland, they find there a, a hen burnt to a crisp and under her wings are live little chicks. That's, that's an image. Something that's maybe what Jesus means here. But, but I think it's something larger than that, maybe, which is he's basically saying, I ain't just no average prophet. I, I ain't just come to tell you the truth. Look at some of these verses. Deuteronomy. How are you guys doing? Deuteronomy 32, verse 10. He sustained them, he being God, uh, uh, him being Israel, in, in a desert land, in a howling wilderness waste. He shielded them, him, cared for him, guarded him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young and spreads its wings, takes them up and bears them aloft on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him, that is Israel. No foreign God was with him. Look at the psalm. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for He will deliver you from the snare of the hunter and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a defense. This is what Jesus means. Who covers Israel with wings? God. What is Jesus saying? God is coming to town, y'all. But you don't want that. And so, the house will be empty. The house you've built to house me, I'm not going to be there. Forward my mail elsewhere. He, He says... Look at what Jesus says when he's lamenting Jerusalem. See, your house is left to you. Now, this is, this is a common image. Okay, let's just recap. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem where they're not going to have any space in their world for him. They want to serve God. But Jesus is God who's coming to them to cover them. But they don't want that. Make sense? says, so your house will be empty. What Jesus says is something that the prophets have said as well. But if you will not heed these words, this is Jeremiah, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. 
Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And the people gathered around, but against Jeremiah. Here's the idea. Jeremiah comes to town, and the house is the temple. And he says, You keep this up, you're going to kick God out of his home. I'm telling you, you keep piling your garbage around the front door like this, you're going to send God packing. Get it together. And what he means is mend your ways. Quit worrying about your religion and focus on caring for those around you. And if you don't get it together, God's leaving. Not because he hates you, but because you've made no space to coexist with him. In Ezekiel, I won't read it, but in Ezekiel 10, he sees this horrifying image of God leaving the temple. He's standing watching and the glory of God comes out of the temple and hovers there at the gate for a moment and then heads east into the wilderness. God has left the building. It's the only way the Babylonians could come in and burn Jerusalem. You think they could do that if God was there? You think they'd be able to stop? You think Rome could come in and knock Jerusalem over if the Lord was present in there? No way. No, God is leaving He's leaving them to themselves because they don't want any of it. But what's God like? I just want to gather you. That's all I want to do. I just want to gather you, but you don't want that. What am I supposed to do? But the prophet, the the prophet dies for that message, as shall Jesus. Jesus will go in to Jerusalem, not as a prophet with a good message, but God coming to His own. The very thing they're trying to make sure happens is happening right under their noses, but they don't want that. And this is Vision 2020. (laughs) This is the holiday in the high city. This is all of us, the religious folks, gathered for worship and prayer and song. And here is God himself among all of us. He says, shut up with all that preaching. We're trying to sing. Stop all that. Stop all that message about how we need to change. We've got a religion to keep moving here. That's how they treat the Lord. Not just a prophet. That's how they treat God. Now, I'm not saying this is us. I'm just putting it before y'all. <laughs> I'm not trying to make any point like we're doing this. That's not my point. I don't think we're doing this. I hope to God we're not doing this. But this is what Jesus' trip to Jerusalem meant. was a confrontation with deadened, long-drifted hearts. And, and now we know, well, what's God like when we won't listen to him? What's he like? Now we know. He longs for us. But how, how did they get there? How did they get, how do you get to a place where you build your whole life around God? The whole thing, everything you do is designed so that you can see and know God. Everything you do in your life, from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed, all of your rhythms and routines and your meetings you're involved in, how does it go from that to when God is actually among you, you can't see or hear Him? How does that happen? What happens to us that that's the case? 
Well, I think a number of things happen, which is why we need moments like this where we return. You ever had loss mess with you and cause you to drift from God, even though we think it should draw us near, but it doesn't always? Trauma within a community can create a situation where we kind of shut down. We don't know. We're not trying to drift from God, but we do. Pride can drive us from God. Pride for those of us who say, I know the truth. I know what God wants. So I don't need to hear anything else. I think that's the real kiss of death. And I think that's what Jesus is dealing with. Here, we become, we can become far too certain. Far too sure of ourselves. So sure that we're unsure that God knows what we know. We say, I would do anything for love, right? (laughs) But I won't do that. We do that. That's fine, but I refuse to believe that. I refuse to open myself up like that. I refuse to look at those relationships with those people down the street that I don't like. I refuse to re-examine what I think about my neighbor or my fellow congregant in the church and how they've hurt me. I refuse to look at what I think about the homeless or whatever else it is that we just are like, I'm not going there. i got a religion to keep. I'll do anything for God as long as it has to do with my devotional life in the building up of my religion. But Jesus is here not to say we're bad, but to just say all of the religion, everything that's going on in Jerusalem, that's supposed to be drawing you nearer, making you humbler, bringing you closer to me. But you're making gods out of the religion and making God one that's annoying to you. But here's the idea. This has really helped me. I've taken this from some friends of mine who have, you know, they're working with these ideas. But this is, I shared some of this on Wednesday. But think of the solar system. Right? What's at the center? Copernicus told us that at the center of the solar system is not the earth, right? It's the sun. What do we call it? Heliocentric? A heliocentric view of the sun. The sun is at the center and the planets revolve around the sun because of gravity and things. I got like a D minus in astronomy class. So that's about as far as I can go. But what is the sun, so to speak, for the people of God? What if Israel is at the center? Think, think of Israel. Israel has all kinds of things that tell them that they are the people of God and they're safe. They have Sabbath. They have kashrut, right? Uh, uh, a menu, a specific diet they, they keep. They have the temple. They have the land. They have circumcision. They have all these identity markers that tell them this is who we are. And we just keep focusing on who we are. We're Israel. We're Israel, the people of the circumcision. Surely God is in our, on our side. None of that's not true. 
But can you see where that could get away from you? What if you put at the center the temple? Not what the temple means, which is salvation for the whole world, but the temple itself becomes the center. And you just revolve around that. What if, and this is weird, but we do this, what if the church is at the center of our solar system and the church just revolves around the church? (laughs) We do this. What if the mission is at the center? Doesn't that look good? The mission's at the center of our solar system and we, the church, just revolve around the mission. It looks good. What if the vision for the church is at the center? And as a church, we just revolve around the vision given to us by our leaders. That's all we do. Keep the vision. Keep the direction. What if we put our charismatic leaders at the center? Our staff people and our elders or whoever else, we put them at the center. We're always trying to do what they tell us because surely they're the only ones who know God. We can do this. We can feel lost if we don't have excellent preaching, practical preaching, right? Practical. It needs to be practical for my life or why go to church? We do that. It becomes all about spiritual growth and my personal walk with God at the center. Or the Bible is at the center. Not the God the Bible talks about, but the Bible itself. Studying it, knowing it. Can you see where these things all being very, 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 very good can become rotten if they're not in the right place in our lives? Or our doctrines, our church services at the center of everything we do, all of the meetings. Or the ICOC can be at the center of the, me, of the church. Now I've found with this one, it can be at the center because we love it too much, or it can be at the center because we have a weird relationship with it. Either way, it can't be at the center. Either way, whether you struggle with it or you love it, If you put it at the center, if you have codependent relationships with any of these things which are meant to draw us closer to God, we're in trouble. What's Scripture looking for? This is the idea. This is the idea. It's not the preaching why we show up here. We don't come because we like the sermons. We don't come because we like the singing. We assemble because we believe That there's a God who longs for the world like a a mother bird with with her arms outstretched. And as we draw nearer to Him, we become changed. He's the reason we show up. And if He's the reason, what happens when people reflect God rather than their religion? Love, mercy, joy, peace. When God is at the center, when God is the thing drawing us together, all of those things that we would be tempted to put at the center end up being blessing in our lives. We get then, instead of at the center, we get mission and all of those things like a moon which revolve around the church. Does this make sense to you? This really helps me. This really helps me. Because I can get so turned around in the life of faith. I can, I can shoot at the wrong target and then become frustrated with either the church or myself or somebody else. 
But Jesus, what he, all he's trying to do is not trying to say the temple's bad, I hate it. He's not trying to say, I don't like Jerusalem. He's not trying to say, I don't like your religion or the sacrifices or I don't want to hear any more songs. That's not what he's saying. All he's saying is, I want to be at the center of all of those things. So how do we do that? Well, that's, those are the questions we must discuss. How do we do that? What well, starts with worship? It starts with our, our, our worshiping together. It starts with listening to scripture and prayer and gathering with one another. Even when there's not a stellar sermon, we gather. We have a family group and we show up. We make time for things, not because they're God, but because maybe we'll draw nearer to God by being there. But we're really after God, not the meeting. Do you see that? We're really after the Lord, not the service. I'm really after seeing God, not the practical implication for the week. Do you see that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you, God, that you are so filled with love in And you direct all of that love toward us. That even if we've fallen off, even if we've got turned around in our lives, even if shame is covering us, or lukewarm feelings of indifference and apathy, even if our hearts are broken because of pain and loss, and and it's causing us to drift, wherever we are, humble or arrogant, whatever, you long to bring us near because you aim to give us all of the things we search in the wrong places for. Help us, God, turn to you. Help us allow you to show us where you want us to go and what you want us to change that we might reflect your glory as your image bearers. Help us, God, to celebrate you in our lives and your goodness. Help us bring with us into a dark world the message of this cross, which means fear and shame and doubt and grief have all found uh, a hope, a way forward. Thank you for this cup. Thank you for this bread. It's in Christ's Lord.